Welcome to the Knobcast. Thank you for dropping by. This is where we simplify Bitcoin. I'm your host, Mary Victoria, and this podcast is sponsored by BitKnob. BitKnob is an easy-to-use app where you can automatically save, borrow, earn, send, and receive Bitcoin all in one place at the cheapest rates. Download BitKnob, B-I-T-N-O-B, from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store using the links in the show notes. Or visit the website at bitnob.com. That's B-I-T-N-O-B.com. Twitter Spaces has been one of the best ways for me to learn about Bitcoin. It provided Bitcoin communities an opportunity to bring together those who know about Bitcoin and those who are willing to learn more. The Global Bitcoin Fest is one of such Bitcoin spaces, and they give people an opportunity to know what's happening in other Bitcoin communities around the world. In this episode, I interviewed Lucas Duchko, one of the organizers of the Global Bitcoin Fest. He shared his experience with running Bitcoin Twitter spaces, the story behind Global Bitcoin Fest, thoughts about global adoption of Bitcoin, and so much more. And if you love this podcast, feel free to send us a boost on Fountain.fm. Fountain is a platform where you can support your favorite podcast by sending Bitcoin via the Lightning Network. To send us a boost, just tap on the Thunderbolt icon next to the podcast name on Fountain.fm. Now buckle your seatbelts, subscribe to the podcast, drop a review, and without further ado, let's do the intro. Hi, Lucas. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice to be here, Mary. Um, So do you mind if you could tell us a little bit about yourself so our audience gets to know you? So um, I'm from Sweden, born and raised. My parents are Polish and uh, I'm currently living in Vietnam since a couple of years. And uh, I founded my company, um, Scry.com, back in 2010. And um, it was a company to sign documents electronically. And I actually, before I ever encountered Bitcoin, I found another blockchain. I was introduced to an Estonian company in 2011. And um, I didn't know why I was introduced. But a few months later, actually, I was started to think about the problem of preserving electronic evidence uh, or electronic contracts for a long period of time. So, so how do you make sure that nobody manipulates uh, the contract that you signed electronically and you are sure over a long period of time? So that led us to integrate um, this blockchain solution in Estonia and hash the PDF documents um, and put the hash on the blockchain. And um, I didn't actually find out about uh, Bitcoin until... Uh, 2013 so and and the first time i heard about it was uh when it was going up or it already peaked um in that bull run and i thought the price was too high like every person that sees bitcoin for the first time how much was it at that time do you remember maybe 700 maybe 600 uh you know and then it went to what was it 1200 or something like that i don't remember the exact price wow um, or I heard about it. No, I think I heard about it before the peak, and then I followed followed it through the peak. I took a couple of days to dig in, and I concluded, okay, so I'm a poor entrepreneur trying to build my my e-signing business here. Uh, so, but I do want to I don't want to buy some. So, um, of course, I fell for the unit bias. So if I can't buy a Bitcoin, I'll buy some uh, Litecoins. Uh, so I went to like a virtual world site and uh, managed to buy litecoin without kyc and then i sent it to the ebtc exchange and with my litecoin i bought feathercoin and dogecoin but i think i ended up converting all my dogecoin to feathercoin because feathercoin was even cheaper i got even more millions of feathercoins than i got dogecoins and so i was original shitcoiner from start but and I I even actually installed some um, Litecoin mining software on my computer and, and mined for a few hours. But I was too busy with my company, so I ended up uh, not thinking much about it until 2017. I started looking at Bitcoin again in, in spring 2017, 
um, before it started running really somewhere around under under a thousand dollars bitcoin and during that time i was also getting kicked out of my company um it was a pretty long painful process we were having like internal shareholder battles and stuff for since like 2015 that was the tail end of those battles and i got kicked out in june no may 17 and then i started digging into uh bitcoin i i left sweden the day after uh, our shareholder meeting, I flew to Thailand and decided to take one year off and not do anything except traveling around the world. I also started looking at Bitcoin at that time. And that was the time when the block size wars started kind of heating up. Mm-hmm. And um, I got caught up in that and uh, couldn't really, because I was so new to it, I hadn't really read up much. Um, I, I couldn't determine if you know roger ver was right with what he was saying that you know it should be a, a possible to transact cheaper on the main chain the blocks need to be larger blah 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 all that stuff mm-hmm. so um i ended up getting quite tilted in all that drama and uh, i gave up my original idea of um holding at least 50 percent bitcoin and I just, at the peak, peak, peak of the bull market, I went all in on shit coins. I even sold some, some shares in my, my company to, to buy those, uh, those shit coins. So I wow. uh, ended, up, ended up going down the, with the ship. Um, so first, you know, it halved by 50%. And then I was like, oh, I'm, I'll wait until it goes up. It halved ag- again. Uh, so, you know another 50% down. So, you know, 25% of the original investment. I'm like, okay, now there's no point looking at it. Then went down another 50%, you know, 12 and a half percent, and then another 50% to 6.25, and then another 50%. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it ended up being 2% of my original investment. So I I just gave up and sold, sold, sold it off like a, you know, zero value basically. And and uh, so I didn't touch, I had a really sour taste in the mouth and um, I didn't touch the subject for, for another few years. And um, after my first year after Scribe, doing nothing, I went on and um, started a consultancy where I, I did distressed situations, uh, consultancy, a strategy consultancy, basically founders getting kicked out of their companies, various shareholder battles or uh, the company going bankrupt, having to pivot in the middle of like, you know, this really distressed um, financial situation. So I spent three years doing uh, like really high stakes um, consultancy, saving founders in the most weird situations uh, all over the world, Mm -hmm. Um, in Indonesia, Hong Kong, Germany, Sweden, yeah, all over the place. Um, And uh, Eventually, uh, I managed to sell uh, sell my shares in February 2020, just before uh, COVID hit. Everything became crazy, and um, I bought some shares back. Then the there was a management buyout of uh, the company in May 2020. So I sold my shares uh, twice. <laughs> sold my yeah. company twice in one year, <laughs> and. Um, and I had a, a, a small pile of cash that I needed to do something with. At the same time, you know, the Federal Reserve started going, you know, bananas, just printing money like crazy. And I, yeah, it was really stressful trying to, you know, uh, think what, what do I do now? Obviously, this inflation is already happening mm-hmm. um, and looking at stocks, looked like they were all already overvalued but everything was racing um but i didn't feel comfortable with that then looked at the bonds and yields already then looked like a really bad like i remember looking at evergrande and it was like eight percent and mm-hmm. you know chinese real estate uh you know all the accounting is completely crazy i mean they do triple and quadruple accounting nothing is you know true in their books and you get eight percent yield so uh, gold and then around that time when I was, and also commodities. So I realized that I need to spend a lot of time researching every single asset and maybe I can find something. And specifically I was looking at um, startups. So 
Um, I've been getting requests from startups to invest for several years already. So I was thinking maybe I can, you know, invest the piece and then uh, do my consultancy with those companies uh, when they're not distressed and make sure that, uh, that those companies grow in a good and sound way. But I realized it, was so, it would be so much work uh, to, to just either research any asset uh, or uh, work with a startup and, and help them grow. And what I really wanted to do was to build my next company and invest in my next company. I didn't want to uh, just sit and research how to trade the next trade or how to invest in the next startup and have all the headaches with all the uh, management teams of startups and all the internal fighting and all the drama with investors and everything. So it was around that time that uh, Michael Saylor started going crazy with his, uh, his investments. I bought a little chunk during the summer before uh, Michael Saylor did his announcement. But of course, the day after I bought, the price went down 20% and I felt like an idiot. And, oh <laughs> and then, and then um, so, you know, after having been burnt and like lost 98%, it didn't feel good to like the day after I, I dipped my toe, it, it, you know, goes down 20%. But during that autumn 2020, I started really reading up properly and I really had time to, to, um, to look into it. I pretty much landed in the conclusion that there's no other asset that, uh, firstly, will never go to zero because the block size wars really showed that even if all the biggest exchanges, all the biggest miners, many of the biggest uh, influencers in the space go against the protocol and try to centralize, they can't win. They didn't succeed then. And I think that was like the moment of truth for Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And I got caught up and I lost a lot, but at least I did see Bitcoin come out of that and realize that it's not going to go to zero ever. So that's one of the things you really want to make sure, like if you, if you want to just park your money somewhere, you don't want to park it in some, you know, some startup that's doing something very, very risky and may go to zero at any moment. And uh, because most of them do. Mm -hmm. And secondly, if inflation is like 20, 25%, which it likely is, uh, then, uh, you know, you, if you don't have an asset that has a high probability of beating that by itself without you trading, you'll just end up trading and I want to build companies. So I ended up parking most of, most of my money into Bitcoin and that ended up being a pretty good, pretty good bet. Um, and then spaces came around in spring 2021 and I spent a lot of time hanging out uh, with Bitcoiners and learning so much. Then suddenly the Bukela announcement happened. Uh, I happened to be in that space. I could sense that the, the president was going to come on. So I started recording it. After that, I started diving into Twitter spaces in El Salvador in Spanish because I learned Spanish in Venezuela in 99, 2000. Oh, that's so cool. first time ever that I, I could use Spanish. Yeah, so I, I just started connecting with Latino Bitcoiners and we started first base that I did with us in El Salvador. It was so crazy because my Spanish is so-so mm -hmm. and it was so political. They were just fighting over politics and I really was struggling to follow. Mm -hmm. And I remember like uh, Danny Allos from Argentina, I think was there and uh, Darwin from El Salvador was there and they're kind of, they're trying to try to manage the situation, but it was really hard. So we decided Let's only do uh, Lightning Network free Satoshi giveaways. And that way we can keep it quite technical and like to, to the point. So we don't have to get involved into El Salvador politics because mm -hmm. that's just way above our heads. True. <laughs> so we started doing, yeah. Uh, so we started doing um, uh, these Satoshi giveaways, El Salvador, Mexico, uh, with Julio A, with um, Cuba, with Erish, um, we did with Crypto Bastardo, Venezuela, and uh, that little group, that chat group, uh, one day a guy had this really stupid idea. I think it was like the last of August or first of September, like, hey, let's do a 24-hour nonstop Twitter space. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I was on, I think I was on one. Um I can't remember what time it was, but it was really good. I was like, you guys are just going on and on. Like, I love this energy. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was insane. I mean, we start we started planning that thing. The idea was on the seventh, first of September, and it was going to happen on the seventh of September. And I, I I remember all of us were like kind of like, uh, yeah, twenty four hours. That's a bit much. But by the evening, uh, everybody was working on it, and it grew to like a team of 20, 30 people working with this in different ways. And we got communities from all over the world to do one hour spaces from Tonga, Vietnam. Japan, Australia, Tonga and Greater Polynesia, Ethiopia, Sudan, Nigeria. We had uh, Bernard Para from Nigeria on and, uh, and Takimbr and a few other great, great ones, Greece, uh, Venezuela, and so on. Anyway, so we did that 24-hour space, and it was, uh, it was exhausting, but it was really fun. And I think we were all shocked how amazing Bitcoiners there are all over the world and like the quality of content we got even though like we could hardly like prepare anything, just have very quick chats with people before they did their space. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the background. We, we, after we did that, we said, okay, let's do weekly spaces with communities in each country and just interview them and give them more time than just one hour, like do two, three hours and really like dig in. Yeah, that's kind of my Bitcoin contribution at the moment because I don't have a Bitcoin startup yet. And uh, it, I have decided that I'm going to work with Bitcoin for the next 10, 20 years, maybe the rest of my life, because I, I feel this is the cause that I've been looking for for decades. And it basically ticks all the boxes of something that is profoundly meaningful. So I'm not in a rush, low time preference. Now I'm just playing with this thing together with this other passionate Bitcoiners from all over the world, interviewing interesting Bitcoiners everywhere. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Otherwise, I'm building my own next startup, Stealth Mode. Nobody knows about it. We've been building it for the past two years. Threw away the first product. And so we started one year ago with a new idea. And I'm pretty bullish on that. It's going to be an email client. And uh, I think we're going to integrate Bitcoin quite deeply, lightning into, into the client. But it's going to be another year or two before we can really release it. So it, well, I, I don't exciting. talk much about it. That's yeah. exciting. I look yeah. forward to the day you release it. I mean, that would be really mm-hmm. cool. I really love your story because I I love the journey that you went through. You know, you tried out so many things. You tried out the conventional investment options like, you know, um, shares and stuff. And then you went into different coins and then you went full circle and came back to Bitcoin. So you know, the reason why I find your story very unique is because you tried everything. At the end of the day, Bitcoin just came on top, which is really cool. And because um, that's kind of similar to my story. I also tried different kinds of investment options. I still do, but I'm slowly moving my portfolio um, more into Bitcoin. And when you try different investment options, you get to really see why and how Bitcoin stands out over the others. So, yeah, and it just makes you even feel more devoted to Bitcoin because like the I mean, the receipts are there, right? <laughs> it's just really, really cool. And great job with um, the spaces, especially um, the 24-hour space. I think that was really awesome. I, I think I attended like at different time points, like I would attend, you know, in the afternoon and then come back later in the evening. But it was so amazing how, um, and I think that's the reason why I love Twitter spaces, especially, you know, when the Bitcoin community is involved because it's really cool to hear different people's perspective of Bitcoin. And you're like, here I was in my own little space. I thought this was it, you know? And then you started hearing um, what other people are going through and what and how Bitcoin has affected their lives positively in another country. And you're like, whoa, you guys experienced that? Like mm-hmm. when I was listening to the France space, um, th- the one that you did recently, I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. this thing is happening in France. Like, honestly, I had no idea that uh, about their Bitcoin adoption there. I mean, I didn't, I mean, I'm, I know it sounds kind of, you know, strange or maybe even very myopic of me, but I didn't even know that like French people were really into Bitcoin <laughs> until I heard that space. So I just mm. really love what you're what you're doing, and um, it's really cool to see. What what's your what was what's your take really on Bitcoin adoption like all over the world? Because I know that you know since you're involved in all these different Twitter spaces, I'm sure you have a chance to like see what other communities other communities from different countries are experiencing 
Um, based on that, mm. what, how do you see Bitcoin adoption? Yeah, I think the the takeaway from especially the past month uh, since we started doing the uh, weekly ones where we dive in, dive in deeper is I get a sense that the El Zonte Bitcoin Beach project in El Salvador and then Bitcoin becoming legal tender has just sparked light bulbs for Bitcoiners all over the world. Um, it seems like that was some kind of breakthrough moment psychologically for the Bitcoin community worldwide. For example, I talked to... Uh, Bitcoin Akasi, the founder of Bitcoin Akasi in South Africa, uh, when we're preparing to, to do the space with uh, South Africa, we're actually doing that on, on Sunday. And um, he said that, well, you know, I've been a Bitcoiner for a long time, but I've been doing my charity for a long time uh, completely without involving Bitcoin. Um, so like 40 kids from less lucky homes, so to say, in South Africa that they teach uh, surfing and you know, self-sovereignty, uh, empowering them. And then he concluded, well, actually, why don't I include Bitcoin in this uh, education of theirs? Because Bitcoin is, um, yeah, it's about uh, self-sovereignty, about growth and a lot of good values for the individual. And um, when he saw the El Zonte become that kind of epicenter, yeah, what, what they did basically, uh, he was emboldened and he started doing that. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. I just wanted to step in and tell you a little bit about saving Bitcoin with Bitnob. The minute I started using Bitnob, it changed the way I invest in Bitcoin forever. With Bitnob, I can create a plan and it automatically invests in Bitcoin for me using the dollar cost average strategy. That's it, nice and easy. Download Bitnob, B-I-T-N-O-B, and watch your Bitcoin investments grow. And also, um, we met with um, uh, this uh, Bitcoin jungle in Costa Rica, also Bitcoin Lake in Guatemala. So it seems like there's more and more of these projects that are getting started. Like, of course, uh, it's about perseverance and people need to just keep grinding for years. So a lot of these projects may, of course, turn out uh, to be, you know, uh, a short term thing. But if there's many, some will will uh, prevail and build something lasting uh, across the world. So I'm very bullish seeing all that grassroots movement. Also, as you heard in the French space, maybe uh, that one of the guys that was in the French space, I think it was one of the founders of Noddle. He said that he's been away from the Bitcoin community in France because it was kind of depressing and yeah, just didn't, didn't feel like doing that. But the energy has come back so he's back being engaged so there's there's this grassroots movement happening we can kind of feel it in all these spaces when we were talking to people and also what i did not see at all in 2017 because i'm a startup guy tech startup guy i naturally look for startups and companies who's mm -hmm. doing what and in 2017 there was very little bitcoin startups yes even all, all the shit coins, there was not really a lot of real startups happening. It was all the hype and all the, all the blockchain ICOs, but, but the real businesses was very few and far between. But now many of the Bitcoiners that we have on these, uh, on these weekly spaces uh, are doing their own company one way or another. They're doing a wallet, they're doing some exchange, they're doing um, yeah, some, some hardware. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff or this kind of uh, community projects. There's a lot of grassroots companies also ha happening and they're being funded by other Bitcoiners. Um, and also another grassroots things that, that, that I think is fairly recent is because the Lightning Network's exponential growth during 2021 and everybody's just starting to really use it and everybody's starting to build around it. It's really working. Back in 2017, you know, I heard about Lightning Network. It was a nice story, but <laughs> you know, it, is it actually going to happen? I don't know. Now you can use, I use it several times a week during these spaces or between spaces, paying bills. Of course, uh, what we hear about is like the big funds and the big money going in and the big, 
you know, dragons, uh, you know, like uh, Gary Gensler, the chairman of the SEC, you know, talking positively about Bitcoin and blah, blah, blah. There's, there's all these big things happening. But I really think that what's going to make uh, Bitcoin grow in the next couple of years, what's really going to create that upward pressure uh, or in, in the price of Bitcoin, but also the adoption of Bitcoin is all these amazing people. And also another thing is the, the knowledge of every person we're talking to is like, you know, mind blowing. It's, it's, there's so much knowledge now. Yeah. I mean, maybe I was talking to the wrong people in 2017. Obviously, I was <laughs> I wasn't talking to a lot of people, but yeah, now it's like every person can teach you a lot. So I know, and they have different sides. Like if you want someone to to teach you about the technical aspect of Bitcoin, you have them available. The um, entrepreneurial aspect, even all the other parts, like you know, writing, um, design, like you just have so many people in different aspects now, and it's just super cool to see how much how people have adopted with Bitcoin. Um, like you said, like there weren't many Bitcoin based companies in the past. And now we have a lot of them springing up. Like recently, I, I came across this company that is focused on using Bitcoin for charities. And I was like, oh, that's that's cool. I feel like and OK, we're re- very early in the year now, but I feel like before the year runs out, we'll start seeing different types that we never thought would ever see. And yeah, that's that's really amazing. I want to take the conversation now to the Bitcoin Global Fest. Um, so it has it's grown to be like a brand of its own, if you allow me to say that. Um, what has the experience been like so far, like honing or like building a community around Bitcoin? Um, we're not really building um, communities ourselves, um, but we are a small group of people that just, really enjoyed doing this and of course uh, every person has kind of their uh, their limited time some people have a lot of you know kids in the company and so on so on so different people are chiming in with different skills so it's we have a pretty well-rounded group of people we have a couple of people that are great with design we have uh, uh, a producer that helps with the recording and the production of the stuff. We have a few organizers that also uh, hold spaces and and do the moderation. We we're, and we're pretty open. Like I mean, we we don't have any we don't have any like formal structure. There's not an organization to it. It's just a Twitter Twitter chat that became this this event that became this weekly thing. And we created the brand. Uh, I think we were doing these spaces um, to plan the 24-hour space. And in those spaces, that we actually recorded one of them, I remember. And we have the recording online, actually. So um, where we decided things like, okay, we're not going to have any sponsors because we're not going to be tied to any companies, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all of these principles, the name, everything has been created iteratively together. Now it's a lot of focus just to keep the cadence and make sure that we do this space every week and try to like make sure that we get really high quality conversation um, consistently. And then, yeah, then maybe we add Spanish. There's some, some of us that want to add Spanish for so, so that we can do the same thing, but in Spanish for the Spanish speaking communities. Uh, so that like the core is really listening in. So the enabling people to listen in uh, or Bitcoiners really to listen in what's going on in other parts of the world. That's the idea. So we enable communities to broadcast what's happening to the outside world. And we hope that when you go somewhere, say, I want to go to Argentina. Now, after we did our space, you can listen to our recording and you get a kind of a sense for which are the companies, what's going on. And then you also have the Twitter handles of the people that were talking. So you can just ping them and say, hey, uh, what's up? I'm coming to Argentina. I want to meet some Bitcoiners. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the idea is really just trying to connect people. That's it. And you guys are doing a really great job at that. I know I met a lot of people from different countries on your spaces, and I've really learned a lot. And it's really cool that uh, Twitter has this option, uh, this, 
you know, because who would have thought that Twitter spaces would like go this far, especially in the Bitcoin community? Because like there's always at least five Twitter spaces. I mean, that I see from my feed <laughs> on Bitcoin. And it's so cool to see a lot of conversations going around that. And yeah, it's exciting. I'm curious if you agree with me about this. I'm, I have this theory that actually uh, Jack created Twitter spaces maybe to, to provide a platform for Bitcoiners to uh, share and uh, learn because um, he's so focused on, on Bitcoin now with um, Block. Um, and before he left Twitter, he, he created spaces which uh, turned out to be like the very much needed platform for us to meet and talk. Uh, I know that people are meeting on Clubhouse before that, but I, it's, it's more restricted. Uh, people are not necessarily there. Um, so, and also like integrated lightning or strike actually and Bitcoin into his, the tipping feature in, uh, in Twitter. I don't know, have, have you thought the same thought that like maybe he was thinking specifically of like the Bitcoin community. You know, I never thought of that. But now that you put it that way, it totally makes so much sense because it was so timely. You know, now that he's not in, he's not working on Twitter anymore. It's like he laid all the foundation down just so as to support the Bitcoin community. So I think I will agree with you on that. Definitely. Who would have known that it would get this big? Because to be honest, right? And I'm not saying this because I follow a lot of people in the Bitcoin space, but I've what I'm seeing, what I've seen so far, a great majority of the spaces are always about Bitcoin. I mean, when you start scrolling through, um, I think there's this there's this feature where you can scroll through and look for um, Twitter spaces on on your Twitter app. You just see like a lot of them are on Bitcoin. So you know who knows like i but i now that you mentioned it i think i will told that line i believe that he did it intentionally and that's it, the side that was it you know jack, yeah thank you. <laughs> exactly <laughs> huge shout out to jack <laughs> but have you ever encountered challenges posting these spaces a great question I, the first thing is that obviously everybody's not at the same level of bitcoin maximalist as uh, we are, so we we decided very early on that we are we're maximalist only, uh, yeah, and because all of us that were involved in giving away the sats initially in in uh, Latin America, we only care about Bitcoin. That's that's our passion. Um, so same thing for the twenty four hour space. But obviously, everybody's not at the same step of their journey. And um, uh, when we are organizing these spaces, uh, we typically want to have, say, at least four, five, six, seven people uh, join. I think four is too little. Uh, so we want to have a group of people join uh, that can banter around uh, Bitcoin in their community. And um, uh, we discover that we really need to find one person that is deep in that community, well connected, uh, that has the respect of uh, people in the community. And um, uh, they will help select the ones that they know, the ones that they want to bring in. And they will also create engagement. A couple of times we've agreed with, say, one, uh, one person, uh, and we do it via Twitter. Yeah. So we, we start with chatting with, with them via Twitter and then. Um, so we've agreed with, we, we, one time we agreed with one uh, person and they weren't really that active in, in bringing in others in the community. Uh, so, but we knew others in the community, so we kind of helped bring others in as well. And we just realized that the, the level of engagement is much lower if, if we try to do it. So people may not necessarily show up on time because they're not really committed to somebody they know, blah, blah. So. I think one of the main tricks is like find one Bitcoin maxi that knows other great Bitcoin maxis in the community that then will invite them in. I mean, they don't really need to be a Bitcoin maxi. I mean, they, as long as they know a lot of Bitcoin maxis, uh, they can just help organize. They need to be social. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the trick. Find that first person that is social enough to bring everybody else. 
and then make sure that uh, at least a few of them are uh, hardcore maxis uh, so that you have some kind of weight in the conversation. Everybody doesn't have to be that, yeah, as long as they don't sit and you know talk about crypto because <laughs> we don't we don't want to talk about that. That's just it's a completely different topic, and that's not what we want to be talking about uh, in those spaces. Yeah, Bitcoin versus crypto. It's it's just not here. It's about Bitcoin in in those spaces. So I think that's maybe the most important part. Then also like we're trying to do everything collaborative. So how do you we're not one organizer, we're multiple organizers and we like, so we open up group chats and th then we do them on Twitter, but some communities prefer to do them on Telegram. And then sometimes people don't join the Telegram chat. So, uh, so, so that's another aspect, how, because you want to get everybody in that are going to participate in the space. You want everybody in a chat before to, so that you can really like have a conversation with them and like, check the tweets that are going to go out and everything. I'm giving you very concrete tips. So maybe I'm, <laughs> I'm too de detailed here. I don't know if you, no, um, I, th I think it's interesting. It's, I, yeah. it, it, I think it's quite good because just recently I started hosting um, Bitcoin spaces of my own. And, mm. um, you know, just hearing these tips are actually quite helpful to me. And, and I believe those who are listening to this podcast as well, who have been contemplating maybe the same thing would also appreciate these tips as well because I know that when I started hosting my own Bitcoin spaces because so I'm doing this Bitcoin savings challenge so just as a way of like nurturing those who participate in the challenge I host these weekly spaces and I saw that there's this requirement to um, bringing a lot of balance um, because you have newbies join in and then you have um, people who are more advanced and the idea is trying to get the conversation going such that neither side gets bored because you know a newbie could be in there and get completely lost um, and then you have someone who is way into um, bitcoin that feel probably this conversation is too elementary you know so maintaining that balance is a challenge but it, i think it's also um one of the how do i put it one of the juicy parts also of running a bitcoin space because when you're able to arrive at that sweet spot where both sides are learning from each other, I think that makes the space a lot more interesting. And of course, you know, when you have the recording, it's also very nice to listen back to. And I agree with the part with having someone who's very social and well-known in the space, because Twitter has this feature that when someone goes joins a space and um, I think when they become a speaker everyone gets notified and uh, you know their followers get notified that this person is speaking so it's also a really nice way to bring in more people I think um, that was that feature was well thought out and I, what what you bring up with the um, say uh, the different types of uh, say interests like the newbie bitcoiners versus the like the old timers the the old timers can really uh i find lack understanding of how daunting it can be to like participate uh the first time and try to kind of make sense of what's being said mm -hmm. um and it's and i mean some some people are just not interested in, in explaining they just want to banter around uh the uh, yeah whatever they're interested in at the moment for that kind of space definitely it's super important to find somebody that or find bitcoiners that are very advanced but at the same time um willing to be humble and go down to uh, very simple uh simple like basics of bitcoin and explain in in very simple terms uh, one 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 such bitcoiner that i spent a lot of time that kind of his approach was one of the like when I, when I saw like a great Bitcoiner just explain relentlessly for hours and hours uh, with, with newbies, it was Danny Alos from Argentina in these Twitter spaces in Spanish that we're organizing to give away uh, free sacks. And, you know, my Spanish really couldn't last. And um, the, the other hosts maybe like sometimes their, their internet went down and so on. And Danny was just there for hours, just grinding explanations of like, no 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 this is how it works um but like finding that mix same in same with um 
with our, our global Bitcoin Fest space is like people tend to want to start talking about generic stuff like uh, shit coins are bad because blah, 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 blah. And even though that's an important conversation to be had, it's not the conversation to be had in our space because mm -hmm. it's not about France or it's not about Argentina or Costa Rica. We want to hear about the specifics of that country because it's so much more interesting like when yeah koji from japan talks about how you know mount gox went down or <laughs> uh, like <laughs> what happened in the block size wars and roger ver was running around at the meetups in tokyo and you know making everybody like uh, yeah, bu buying you know buying people to go around with costumes and i mean all these crazy stories it, mm -hmm. it, it's so much more flavoring color and that's kind of what we what we want in those spaces hey hey it's me again have you heard of the lightning network it's an easy way of making bitcoin payments faster and cheaper with bitnob you can send and receive any amount of money in bitcoin across the world mm -hmm. you heard that right across the world with little or no fees and in seconds. For speedy Bitcoin transactions, choose Bitnob. Download Bitnob, B-I-T-N-O-B, on your favorite app store today. Or visit the website at bitnob.com. That's B-I-T-N-O-B dot com. Uh, and, and it can be quite tough to also like interrupt some, uh, some uh, people. Like, hey, this is not the subject. I find that, that also to be kind of, uh, yeah. Like you don't want to you don't want to disrupt the vibe. Exactly. So what, what uh, do you, what do you do? So when situations <laughs> in situations like that, um, what I usually do um, is I start the space explaining what the space is about and the intention behind the space, and I do that in intervals. So the idea really is to constantly remind them what the space is about and what it's for and creating that invitation for them to speak along that line. I kind of learned that trick from Clubhouse because I know that um, on Clubhouse, they always say, oh, let me refresh the room. So I kind of brought that into Twitter spaces because I noticed that in Twitter, when it comes to Twitter spaces, people go on and on. Um, people, new people will hop in, probably get lost about what was discussed. So I took that um, strategy from Clubhouse where you refresh the room every now and then. So I'd start up with start off with the intention, what the space is about, who it's for, and then maybe later on, maybe an hour or maybe well, it doesn't last up to an hour, but maybe like 15 minutes into the space, I go and refresh the room again and tell them about the intention, who's it, who it's for, and what we're learning, maybe do a recap of what was said before, and then give them the floor to continue. So that's how I tend to manage the space as well. Um, so I, they are constant reminders are, are key. And I think when it comes to speakers, um, one thing is important. I think um, the key really is to find someone who is quite sympathetic to people's Bitcoin journey. Um, like, for example, you would hear people who will say, it took a long time for me to understand Bitcoin. And so when they have that kind of history, um, they tend to be a lot more tolerant when um, someone asks a very newbie question or someone like asks them to repeat themselves um, because they relate with that situation because they were there before, right? Versus someone who got understood Bitcoin from the get go and they're like, this is it. It's, you know, they've made it their life mission to just, you know, put that information out there, but not really being sympathetic towards um, people who are just learning or who want to get to where they're at at that point. So I think for those who are listening in right now, um, you know, you are in various stages of your Bitcoin journey, because I can tell you that the way, the extent to which I'm deep into Bitcoin wasn't how I was like a year ago. Right. I've learned a lot during this period. And but it's always good to remind yourself of where you're coming from. Right. I, I came from like my history with Bitcoin was a very strange one. Right. Uh, I had a client who wanted to pay me. And the only method of payment that they were offering was through Bitcoin. I didn't know what it was. I was scared about it so much so that I couldn't create a wallet by myself. My sister had to do it for me. And so whenever I'm in all these spaces or I host spaces of my own, I remember my position at that time. And like, what would I, so the question now is what would you do differently? Or if 
I could go back in time to speak to my old self, how would I have liked to orange pill them into Bitcoin? Or how would I have liked to uh, simplify these concepts a lot better so that I'll feel more encouraged to learn more about Bitcoin? So it's just literally relating to your story. That's why when you shared your story um, at the beginning of this episode, I was like, wow, this is really cool. So someone like you, for instance, you've tried it all, right? And it's, you don't need, like, when someone is stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But like, you tried it all. And when someone who is probably experiencing a similar path or following a similar path to what you went through comes your way, you'd definitely be more sympathetic towards them. Right? Because you're like, you wouldn't, I mean, how many years did it take for you to get into Bitcoin, you know, like, let me help this person out because I don't want them to take so many years before they get into Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, I think um, the um, self-confidence is probably one of the biggest barriers to understanding Bitcoin for uh, for people that think they, they're smart. I mean, I thought I was so smart and uh, uh, yeah, I could I could outsmart Bitcoin and um, every single time, like 2013, 2017. Yeah, it's like, it's very humbling uh, to, if you, if you, like me, missed Bitcoin in two cycles and you kind of didn't get it until, I mean, the, the only way, I, I think I would probably be shitcoining still today if it wasn't for the fact that I, I had some money that I, had worked i had worked so hard for that money mm-hmm. i mean i worked to build to build my previous company I, some weeks i actually worked over 130 hours a week uh, i mean for like for, for like weeks in on end uh, average like 80 hours a week 70 hours a week over like a uh yeah not the last no over a seven year period and um uh you know you don't want to have gone through all that pain to just put it into something really bad and lose it all i mean Mm -hmm. that was not an option for me so so i think for the first time i was really paying attention and really thinking deeply about it in a way that i uh, i had not done before it wasn't I i i can understand how people uh, they just have some gamble money and it doesn't really matter if they lose it. And uh, they're just, they just, yeah, I want to do something interesting or exciting. And, and then it doesn't matter that much. And they don't like, like me, I didn't really do the research and I didn't, I was maybe compelled to do the research. <laughs> I mean, the best example of this kind of overly confident persona that just ends up shitcoining all the time is Elon Musk, no? I mean, he's he's obviously super smart and super competent, mm-hmm. but but he's just too uh, he's just too confident. He, he's, he keeps repeating, "Oh, I built uh, PayPal. I know payments," mm-hmm. and uh, he himself is his biggest opponent in this learning. Uh, so yeah, still I I still have to remind myself every day i think uh, guys uh, more often than girls we tend to think that we're so smart and we know shit and uh we, i think to a larger extent we have to work with realizing that we're not we're not maybe that like smarter than everybody else uh it's just it's just our self-perception <laughs> so <laughs> so for those who are listening you know always remind yourself it it takes humility to learn a lot about bitcoin it really does i mean even for me so i i got really serious into bitcoin i think sometime 2020 i had to literally sit down and start learning i had to sit down and listen to spaces sometimes it it can be a little frustrating because you're like oh my gosh how did you guys know all this information or something new will come up and be like and you'll now be like Oh man, I have to learn that thing too. <laughs> it can be it can be frustrating because there's a lot of knowledge out there, a lot of information out there. But I think the key really is to um, pick the medium that you feel a lot 
comfortable with or that you can learn more from. Um, like for me, I learn better in you know through conversations, through listening in and hearing other people's stories and stuff and their experiences. Um, while some but some other people are feel more comfortable learning better through reading or video. So yeah, just pick the one that works for you. So that's why um, I really love Twitter Spaces. Um, whenever I feel like I'm in, I'm behind in information, I join Spaces because I feel that's the best way to learn because you have people from all sides bringing different perspectives that you never thought of. You know that's why I love um, Global Bitcoin Fest because it just showed me that there are different perspectives to Bitcoin based on the geographic location you're at of because each person in all those countries they have their peculiarities right you have for example in nigeria you know we had what we call the crypto ban and people can't use banks to facilitate crypto payments anymore um then you have other countries that probably have it a lot easier but to society is against them um owning bitcoin so when you see it from different worldviews you tend to have a holistic view of Bitcoin and the solution it brings. So it makes it really exciting that way. So, so like you said, constant reminder that um, you need to keep learning and remain humble. Actually, uh, made me think of the space that we did with Indonesia. And it was eye-opening to me to realize that there's a whole massive battle that is upcoming where the Muslim world is going to the religious organizations are going to get co-opted into judging bitcoin being haram so Mm -hmm. not not religiously okay Uh, i don't know the exact definition of haram but halal is when it's okay haram is not good and um, in indonesia the uh, central bank of indonesia actually uh, convinced one of the largest or the largest uh, Indonesian Muslim organization, and they have huge influence over uh, the population. And it's like 90 million members. Wow. Uh, that's, the, the, that's the one that I'm thinking about. And Indonesia is like 270 or 280 million people, maybe 300 by now. Mm-hmm. Um, so 90 million members in this organization, and they go out and officially say, this is haram. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. the central bank of Indonesia convinced them to say that. And now suddenly you have like, how do they backtrack from that? And uh, w- w- what are the ripple effects? Like what is the next country in the Muslim world or next organization in the Muslim world that's going to come out and do that? Like what are the, the central banks in the Muslim world uh, working on? Uh, so uh, it just opened my, my eyes like, there's a huge battle. Uh, how many million people is it in the Muslim world? One billion people? Okay, mm-hmm. so one billion people are going to f- wage a war on the concept of haram that's going to be superimposed on Bitcoin. Uh, and it's going to be a huge battle in that, say, in that cultural context. Uh, just, just something that I thought about uh, when you mentioned the, like, the different context uh, that different uh, societies have. Um, with bitcoin yeah exactly Uh, and that that part is you know it's a little scary actually to come to think of it because i think i i mean i stand to be corrected but um indonesia really holds um like a really they're quite influential um when it comes to islam as well because uh, you know i know that um islamic finance in indonesia is quite well advanced um so if a country like Indonesia ha- comes up with this thing where they say Bitcoin is haram, like you said, like that could affect other countries that have a very strong or very big um, Muslim community. So, yeah, I mean, but like I said, I think the thing we just have to wait and see, really. And um, because definitely there will be, you know, as with everything, there's always like an argument for and against right so we'll just have to wait and see to find out what happens later but like i'm I'm glad you raised that concern because these are real life problems right for example that could be happening in indonesia but you have muslims everywhere for example right and other religious groups could come up and say something similar 
and they might have like doctrinal evidence behind it as well. So all we can do now is just wait and see and just continue to you know educate people on Bitcoin and see what happens because nobody, I mean, nobody imagined that Bitcoin would be this big or be so widespread. It's when you look back in time, I mean, it's, I'm sure the people who got in early never imagined that it would be this big or that there'll be these number of people so involved. So, yeah. Well, uh, how they got the first transaction from Satoshi, I think was within the first few days when he started communicating with Satoshi. There's an email where he makes a calculation of what the Bitcoin price will be if this gets adopted. And he calculated, I think, $10 million per Bitcoin. <laughs> and that's like... Uh, what? Very wow, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so some people, I, I don't know, some people are just incredibly, incredibly smart. We're talking about these numbers today. And they kind of make sense in the price context that we are in today, where Bitcoin is worth tens of thousands of dollars. But mm -hmm. like back then, it didn't even have a price. So, yeah. Exactly. It's, and so cool, like just to see how much Bitcoin has evolved over time. You know, like I always look back from the time when I heard about Bitcoin till now and it has really evolved and it's, it's exciting. Like I always feel so excited, um, especially when people share their stories. Like, it's just so amazing. I can't, I mean, throughout this, this podcast, I've been smiling because like, this is so cool. <laughs> so yeah. Mary, I, I'm, I'm wondering, um, have you orange pilled your uh, family and what are your favorite uh, like strategies in doing that? Oh yeah. So Everyone in my house owns Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, I think the orange pilling in my family started from my sister. So she orange pilled my dad, then me. And, <laughs> and so like we're, we're now more or less like a Bitcoin family. So anytime there's a drop in the Bitcoin price, we're like, oh, the price of Bitcoin has go down, gone down. Let's go and buy. So we usually buy Bitcoin together. So it's just really cool. Um, but as for orange pilling people, um, I found that the easiest way to orange pill people is by allowing them to experience Bitcoin. And what I mean by that is maybe you tell somebody about Bitcoin and they're like, oh, this is interesting, but it's expensive and all that, you know, the usual objections you get. Um, and then you're like, okay, no, no problem, but do you have a Bitcoin wallet? And people will say no. So you could set their Bitcoin wallet up for them and then you do a transfer. So I always send um, some Satoshis their way. Um, and when they experience that, like, because of course, like you can't pick their phone and set up the wallet for them, right? You walk them through the process. So as they're doing it by themselves, they're actually seeing it in progress. And then when you send them Satoshis, they're like, oh my gosh, it just came right now. And I'm like, yeah, that's the beauty of the Lightning Network. Uh, like, for example, a friend of mine that I recently orange pill, I sent her some Satoshis and she called me and she was like, that was when the price of Bitcoin was just going up. I think we were getting close to um, the all time high. And she called me and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm looking at my Bitcoin wallet and the price of Bitcoin has increased. Like, and the money that you send is a lot more than what it was. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. And now she's, you know, into Bitcoin. So it's just literally giving them the opportunity to try it for themselves. When you send them Satoshis, they know that, oh, it's no pressure. Like they could jump out if they're not interested, but them seeing it for themselves is like the biggest thing, the greatest way to orange pill them into it. And they, they never, they've never looked back since. So that's my own strategy. I'd love to hear yours though. But you're saying something really powerful about Lightning Network. It, basically, we were all empowered with the one of the best orange pilling tools uh, there is. Mm -hmm. Just, uh, I, 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 do, I do something similar, um, like just to wake them up to the conversation. I'm like, hey, just install Wallet of Satoshi now uh, and you'll have sats on your phone or Bitcoin on your phone within one minute or one and a half minutes, actually. If you do it right now, you'll have Bitcoin on your phone within one and a half minutes, I promise. Just, just download the wallet, I'll send it right now. So yeah, usually like I get the, get the Bitcoins to them or Satoshis within uh, one and a half minutes and they're like, what just happened? I'm like, okay, note, there was no KYC, 
there was no permission. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you now, I, I, actually, I actually made a real transfer of value to you. Yes. And um, that, that usually kicks off the conversation quite nicely, as you said. But, and the second thing is, um, I think something that, like talking about inflation, because it touches everybody's lives oh, yeah. um, very, very profoundly, uh, whether you, you have assets or you're uh, a worker, be, um, e- e- either way, it's something that you really need to consider when you're in a high inflation environment worldwide, like we're in today. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you know that inflation is 20% a year, then that means that the purchasing power of your assets goes down 50% in three years. Yes, if you, have, if you have cash. Or if you're an employee and you're getting, say, a 2% you know, negotiated CPI, uh, you know, adjusted um, um, salary increase every year, well, then you're getting close to a 50% real wage cut in three years mm-hmm. okay what are you gonna do you, i mean something you need you need to do something you need to think about this i tend to just approach the subject of inflation and and just walk through it whether specified towards investors because i know a lot of investors from my time as a, a tech startup founder uh, or if it's just people that are working day to day uh, especially my family, they're all working plebs or yeah, retired plebs. Just And they're, one of the things that has really stressed me for the past year is like, I really don't want to see them like in this difficult situation as the, their purchasing power is going to just inflate away for the next few years. How do I help protect them? Mm-hmm. I'm, I've been so worried. So... That's also been my main driver of orange pilling my family. And just like your family, my family is also my closest family, mother, father, sister. They're all uh, Bitcoiners and uh, yeah, more than say 70, 80% of the savings in Bitcoin. Nice. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. I'm proud of them. They yeah. Trusted me here. <laughs> that is so cool. I'm proud of them too from here. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing um so yeah, yeah and it's very exciting journey and it's it's really nice to see all that happening because you know when you orange pill them they'll also orange pill their friends as well and it just the the cycle goes on and on and on so yeah i i, I actually want to share the story about my mother because it's like the most funny one yes she's please. not she's she's not a techie at all uh, and I, she was the first one that I called and I started talking about inflation <laughs> and it was the easiest orange pill ever. If after five minutes, she's Polish. So in Poland, they experienced hyperinflation in like 89. So a lot of our friends like wow. really suffered from that. And yeah, Poland has like a pretty rough monetary history. <laughs> so she was like, oh no, they're taking our money again. Bastards! Bastards! <laughs> How do I buy this? How do I get Bitcoin? And then <laughs> I was quite busy for the next like month or two. This is when the price is going up a lot early 2021. And I was like, oh no, it went up more. Um, and, and I just kept procrastinating. Not, um, <laughs> She just kept nagging me. But, Lucas, you convinced me. And now... <laughs> How do I buy this? <laughs> <laughs> oh my yeah, gosh! So I think, I think there's, 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 yeah, there's there's something about um, our current generation. Um, the I mean, the people that are young today, say in the Western world specifically, uh, say up to forty, that has grown up with very stable um, currencies, and then there is a completely different experience some people uh also in more modern times of course we talked about our common friend alexandria mm-hmm. earlier and like like in zimbabwe <clears throat> they are experiencing it now they've experienced it a few years back uh, i have friends in venezuela they're experiencing it now but like th- their experience is so 
profound and so painful yeah. that for them, I mean, it just hits home so quickly. If they get it with inflation, they're on board. And that's why I'm thinking that like orange pilling, high inflation nations should be more efficient than yeah, the, uh, the rich countries with stable currencies. Yeah, you're right, because they're literally in the heat of the problem. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, and inflation will continue to go up because really the governments are not following this thing wisely. I mean, printing more money doesn't stop inflation. Uh, it aggravates it. So, yeah, and I think that that angle is definitely one of one of the easiest ways to orange pill people into Bitcoin. That totally. Wow. I mean, this was really a very rich conversation and I learned a lot on this um, episode and I'm sure our thank audience you, have learned a lot as well. Yeah. And thank you for sharing your insights and I really appreciate you. I appreciate you. Very nice conversation. Thank you. Very, very fun. What an amazing episode. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we have. Subscribe to know when next we release a new episode. Drop a review. Let us know your thoughts about the podcast. Follow Bitnob on Twitter at Bitnob underscore official. That's at B-I-T-N-O-B underscore O-F-F-I-C-I-A-L. See you in the next episode. <laughs>